Welcome to this gambling harm prevention episode of the Leaders Performance Podcast, which is brought to you today by our friends at Epic Risk Management. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and for this very special episode, I'm joined here in the Leader Studio by Mark Williams, a program facilitator at Epic Risk Management, and dialing in from the US, Rachel Jankowski, the head of player care and well-being at the Chicago Fire. You're both very welcome to the show. How's it going? You've both been super busy, but we finally managed to bring you both in. Yeah, looking forward to it. Great to be here. Uh, Just had my first experience of Santa Court. Surely uh, be good to come back and and maybe catch a game sometime, but good to be here and and, and obviously a really important podcast to, to get over the work that we are doing at Epic Risk Management. It certainly is, Mark. And Rachel, what about you? How have you been? Yeah, things have been great here at the fire. We're just winding down our season and I'm so happy to join you guys today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a delight to have you. And as for today's episode, we're here to talk about the relationship between the Chicago Fire and Epic Risk Management and how you are together approaching gambling harm prevention. So perhaps to kick that off, Rachel, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about your role at the Chicago Fire and how you came to work with Epic Risk Management? Absolutely. Yep. So I'm the head of player care and well-being here, and I work with everyone from our U13 Academy guys all the way up through our second team and our first team players. And my scope of work kind of covers everything from mental health to safeguarding to player care and education. And, you know, the first time that I worked with Epic was all the way back in 2019, actually. We connected and ran some education sessions for some of our Academy guys. And we had never done anything like that before um, around this topic. And our academy players also had never had any sort of interaction with any gambling education at all whatsoever. Nothing from school, nothing from home. And it was really impactful. They connected so well to the lived experience approach that Epic takes. And I was absolutely sold on that as well because... Anytime we see our academy guys engaging at that level, we know we've hit something that's, uh, you know, worth pursuing. Fantastic. And you mentioned that lived experience approach. And Mark, you're a program facilitator with Epic. Can you please tell us what that entails and how you came to be involved with Epic in the first place? Yeah, obviously, it's uh, lots of traveling uh, around the world now, fortunately. You know, I love my job today and and being able to help people and, and raise that awareness, not only just to athletes, you know, it can be in many different sectors but the chance came really uh, just after covid I, I wouldn't say i was in a great place personally i was i was a couple of years in terms of not gambling and, and in recovery and i almost got that sign of you know late one night i seen something a case of you find hope when you give it someone else and and i kind of from that point you know changed my thought process i, I set up my own page and and, and started doing, doing talks on Facebook, social media, and, and slowly uh, the word got out there. And, and I got a job back in Wales uh, doing something very similar. And, and then I found myself at Epic and, you know, being the leading global organization in the world, uh, it's a great place to be. And, and, and I'm fortunate in the sense, you know, going to places like Chicago. Did I ever dream of that five years ago? Certainly not. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just thankful for the opportunity and, and I just want to raise that awareness to, to as many people as possible and, and that key education. So Epic Risk Management are very much the pioneers of the lived experience approach to gambling harm prevention. What are some of the benefits of this approach as you see them? I think being live in the room and whichever room I've been in, you you can almost, especially with athletes, 
uh, you can almost walk into the room and it's a case of how long's the session going to take you know they've got their places to be and and i fully understand that the fact being an ex-professional i had to go into these type of rooms and, and i was no different and just watching the room change uh, from that lived experience approach they almost they can relate to it i think they can see you know what what we've been through is is where gambling took us and, and from that they, they can really relate to themselves and think wow this could be me and that's all about the education it's you want them in the room to be able to to understand what can potentially happen you know gambling should be fun it should be safe it should be sociable uh, but they need to understand what it looks like when it's not them things and why you know they are more vulnerable and and what what might them pitfalls and triggers may be to make them obviously go down that gambling spectrum where it can be harmful and um, but certainly the lived experience you know just being honest with a room especially when it's nine times out of ten it can be very a macho man environment and just being honest and saying listen these are the mistakes i made these are the regrets i have at 35 it, it certainly does change the room and, and i always say that you know don't don't take for granted what you've got enjoy what you've got i'd love to go back um, to that moment where they are and, and be where they are not where I am standing you know it's certainly another, another shot at, at professional football and Rachel does that chime with your thoughts on the lived experience approach as well yeah absolutely I think what I have seen so often is that the athlete's voice around these topics is so much more powerful than mine for example if I were to stand up and try to deliver some type of education and awareness piece to our players around gambling they're probably, if we're honest, going to tune out after maybe 10 minutes. So, But if you put a footballer up in front of them who kind of knows what they're going through, they know how it feels, they know the challenges, they know the highs and lows, it's so much more relatable. And I think, you know, it's a new voice in the room, but a relatable voice. It's someone right in front of you. And it's hard to disengage from someone's personal story, whereas it's just a piece of information, it's easy to kind of tune it out. So I think that lived experience piece is absolutely crucial to delivering the content in a way where people are open to it and engaged in that learning process. Right. And on that note, how did you begin to work with each other? Um, When did your collaboration begin? Yeah, I think we brought Epic in. When was it, Mark? I think it was June. June, I came over to Chicago. Well, it was just before Father's Day, yeah. (laughs) Right, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess it was June that Mark came, and he was the person chosen to deliver it here at Chicago Fire, and and it was fantastic. That was our first time having Mark be the person delivering the conversation to our guys and connected through Ben, who's kind of my point of contact over at Epic. And the thing that I really appreciated about that whole process of just getting started together was that Epic was so understanding of what the football schedule is like, how difficult it is to schedule, just the logistics of getting everybody in the room at the right time. That whole process was really easy to walk through with Epic. And what do you recall from the moments when Mark was delivering at first? How do you, what do you remember about that room, the vibe, the way people engaged with Mark? So the way I remember it was, you know, we put on our team calendar that we have a session. You have to be there. You know, it's mandatory in person. And all the players kind of go, huh, we have to stay late, you know, because everyone wants to get home and get on with what they've got planned for the day. And rightfully so. But you know, they sat down and I think when they saw that, oh, there's a new person in the room and that, you know, that piques interest to begin with. But as soon as Mark started speaking, 
and they understood who was in front of them and that this is a story-based moment that just captured everyone's attention so quickly. It's not a pamphlet. It's not a slideshow that's just, you know, here's rules and regulations, but the actual story that carries the content, they were looped in right away. And that was, I think I remember saying afterwards that that was the most sustained attention from the group that I've ever seen across the length of an hour. So. <laughs> yeah, it was obviously for me personally, it was, it was, uh, you know, amazing to be out in Chicago. As I said, I think five years ago, I, I would never envi- envisioned that. Uh, so to be there was a proud moment. And, and yeah, as Rachel said, to see the room do that, and I see it, you know, even in the UK, it, it's it's watching that change. And that, that shows me the importance of the sessions. It shows me how engaged the athletes get. Uh, they can relate to it. And, and yeah, you, you've got players, as Rachel <laughs> alluded to, uh, you know, thought, what time is it? You know, how long is it on for? You know, well, really, we have to do this session. By the end of it, you have players staying, asking more questions. They want to learn more, and uh, and that's credit to the sessions. And that's again, I think the lived experience really helps, and and that's why I'm so passionate about doing that. I know it has an impact. I know it can help athletes, and and certainly provide that line. If if someone out there is struggling, they they will reach out for help. But more importantly. I'd like to think the sessions are there to act as a huge prevention. If, if they're educated more, um, they've certainly got more chance of not making the mistakes I made. And how differently do people respond in person compared to when you put a textbook in front of them or you provide them with some sort of digital download? And why is that face-to-face approach important in a club environment? I think it's that just being in the room. I think, you, you know, Rachel will, will be able to add as well, but I think... The, the room almost stops to attention it's watching you know the, the the listening from it and it's powerful within the room you know and that comes from the emotion with it you know being lived experience it's it's given all my personal information it, it's passing on everything that I've learned through the mistakes I made and and as Rachel said if that's in a room you know these players are going to look and, and want to learn about it because I'm sure they can see from from what I'm telling them they, they, they certainly wouldn't want to be in that place and certainly you know, affect their careers, their family, their loved ones. And, and again, it's, it's the power of lived experience of, of, of putting that message across. Well, what do you think, Rachel? Was it important? Was it significant that the playing group, they saw their peers listening and engaging and that encouraged them to do the same, perhaps? Absolutely. And I think the in-person piece is so crucial because it's going to be different in different leagues and different sports. But for us, the, the season starts and we get this whole host of educational units that the players have to go through, be it the league or the players union or different different pieces saying, hey, you need to watch this recording around these rules and res- regulations around the league and you need to watch this recording or do this unit online. And one of those is includes, you know, substance abuse and gambling harm and these types of topics. And what I tend to see with that is <laughs> players just want to get that unit done. They're not absorbing the information. They're just kind of clicking through or they're setting the video to play and it's kind of on in the background maybe while they're engaging in conversation or driving home or something like this. Whereas if you're sitting down with a person standing in front of you, speaking to you about something that they have lived through, you're going to receive that information in a completely different way. You can't kind of tune out or go do something else. You're, You're there and you have nothing else to do, right? So you get that undivided attention. And I think that's what allows the 
content to really sink in, right? I think if you're asking a player doing kind of a comprehension analysis after one of the online or, you know, remote learning options that they go through in other points of the season, it would be very low. Whereas if I think, I think if you did a comprehension analysis after the Epic session, that information has been communicated across. And I think the story is what carries it, but the actual info in the session around gambling, gambling harm, how to prevent it, what to look out for, all of these things that go with the story, that content is so well-researched and so spot on that I also, you know, I just love that we can pair those two, right? The story and the the facts around the topic and what to look out for and all of these things that are trying to be communicated through other avenues in other points of a player's life, but they don't really get there because the story's not there to carry it. So it might be a long answer, but I think the in-person lived experience piece is really what athletes can benefit from the most. It's a long answer, but it's a great answer. (laughs) And I want to continue on that note, actually, Rachel, if I may. And that was to ask you about what were some of the next steps, how you engaged with the services on offer from Epic, how you then shaped your program. How would you begin, for example, to help a player that reached out? Or what are some of the indicators that the help is available if need be? So a player comes into your training facility and they know that if they need it, the help is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so players know that I'm around and I'm available as a resource, right, to talk through anything related to this. But um, what I also appreciate was that they can also go directly to Epic, right? If they want to go outside of the club, outside of the league and pursue some type of a conversation on their own, you know, Mark made himself available to the players. There's places within that presentation, players can see, here's where you can go for help, here's where you can go for questions. And I think that's a really important step, right, is for players to understand, you know, after they've had that education and a moment to reflect, if they get to a point where they do need a resource, they have multiple avenues to choose from. It's not just one option. And I think that the ability to choose where to go when you have a request for help is really important. And I imagine that helps you in your role, doesn't it, as well? If you're able to escalate things in an appropriate fashion or give players suitable advice, that makes your day-to-day role as a practitioner so much easier to perform as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I think I'm also, for me, in my role, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on everything related to gambling. That's why I need Epic to come and help deliver that, right? It's also nice to know that I can go to Epic as well and kind of lean on them and their content and and them as a resource to also help me in terms of how to kind of use best practices and move things along in a way that's most helpful for a player. And Mark, since that initial presentation, how exactly have you been involved? Rachel obviously spoke about your involvement and your availability there, but how has that looked from your side? Yeah, obviously, it's one of them. You, you kind of leave leave the session and you don't want it to just end there, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And that's why I always think it's important to, to leave them support services that we do have. But I, like Rachel said, I'll always you know, leave my uh, information as well. And, and I think it's important they've got that. Uh, you know, if someone is in the room and they are struggling, there's no better feeling knowing that the, your first conversation could be with someone who's lived experience. And 
going back you know five years to when I did open up it was to people that weren't lived experience they didn't understand it you know that they weren't educated on it and and there was a big backlash from that and and I understood why you know obviously family friends and and close ones and because they don't understand it, it was a case of how did you do that why have you done this you've spent all that money how you know it was kind of a really negative you know start to my recovery and, and and that was difficult and that's why for me going to support groups at that time was so important because in that same room with people that understood me for the first time I, I had someone around me that did the same things that I had done and there was people around me that had done three four five years in recovery and that gave me hope as well thinking well I can get through this uh, so by giving that lived experience support I, I always feel it offers if someone did get in touch you know and I say that to, to the group you know don't don't think you're going to say anything that that I haven't done and, and it takes away that judgment that prejudgment that fact that you're embarrassed with what you've done so I always certainly think if I can leave you know my imprint that I'm here for them too as, as well as the other providers obviously that we can sign signpost to it just helps them to come forward and have you noticed any cultural differences between gambling harm prevention issues that arise in the UK versus North America? The one thing I would say is, and obviously being out there for a short time, I'm due to go out again, which um, I'm looking forward to. It's it's learning them different cultures, as you say. And, and I think the fact that in 2019, where sports betting was legalised in so many more states, it's almost at the moment that this is now this fun new thing. It's like it's not like it was in the UK. We you know we've we were able to gamble pretty much on anything for the last 10, 15 years, and and all of a sudden uh, the 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 new rules means that so many you know you look at our NCAA program, the, the the colleges, more people can gamble now in America. So it's almost like yeah, it's this exciting new toy. Wow, look at this. So that's the difference at the moment. Whereas I think the UK, we, we've been there for a while. Whereas that, that's why there's lots of work to do uh, across the pond and, and lots of work that we are doing from Epic Risk Management and, and we're, you know, lots of, lots of sessions taking place. I wanted to move on to some of the challenges you've faced in implementing this program. Have there been any unforeseen circumstances? Has anything taken you by surprise? Rachel, perhaps you could go first on that question. I think one of the challenges is just the, there's a really low level of base knowledge here. And I think Epic meets that really well because they kind of start players off with the basics. And, you know, a lot of other topics, athletes have come across some information, but this is really new still for everybody here. So I think that's one topic that we we're concerned about, you know, how do we address this and kind of build up some knowledge and Epic has been great with helping with that. And I think another piece that's always going to be a challenge for us here in Chicago and probably across the MLS is um, just language. There's always a language barrier in some form or fashion in a club. And so, you know, we work with that in-house here at the club. We've got a, a language instructor here with a fire and can do follow-up and kind of compensate for that. But I am also really excited about the work that the, um, so there's a pro sport advisory board for Epic and the language barriers is one of the things kind of on the list of topics to address and work on is to how do we get all of this content in Spanish primarily? Um, because we want to make sure that, you know, that should not be a barrier for people engaging in the conversation and we found ways to reduce that here in house with Chicago Fire but making sure that 
that can be done across the board is I think an exciting next step with this content and with the EPIC program is, is the language piece. And how does that look from your perspective, Mark? Yeah, it was something we, we thought about before the session um, and we sent Rachel that, you know, this the Spanish side of it to make sure everyone in the room was engaged. Uh, so they almost had a pre um, pre-sight of what was going to happen. Um, they had to, obviously there was there was paper there as well. So despite what was on the presentation and yeah, the, someone was there helping and engaging through. So it is something that, you know, it's important that, that all the audiences or, you know, every player within the squad is, is getting the same presentation and the helps there, you know, in, in terms of the language barrier. Uh, and the other things is obviously just, just getting out there when we can. And, and as Rachel said, with player schedules can be difficult. So uh, there's lots of people in-house uh, in Epic who, who do the hard work for that. Um, and make sure we can schedule it in where it fits for the for the for the clubs and um, for the facilitators and certainly personal life as well. Which, um, you know, being being a fifty percent dad, that's it can be difficult to fit in. But it, um, you know, everyone's great with that, and and yeah, it's really important that you know it suits all parties. And Mark, you mentioned and Rachel mentioned as well the Pro Sports Advisory Board. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, please? To be fair, it's probably more of, of Rachel's bag in terms of the Sport Advisory Board. We obviously we hosted um, the Gambling Harm Prevention Summit in, in Wembley, um, where everyone was there. Um, so there's lots of good work in terms of, you know, I think really important people that uh, want to make a difference, make a change regarding gambling harm and, and prevention in sport and, and bringing all them individuals together is really making a difference, making a change. And I'm sure Rachel can, can add, on, add on more to that of the work that they are currently doing. Yeah, sure. So the Pro Sport Advisory Board is made up of different people from different types of backgrounds and areas of work. And we've broken out into different working groups to tackle different topics. And then we meet together quarterly. And the main point of it is to make sure that this program that Epic has developed with the lived experience, the research-based information, the delivery method, all of these things can continue to stay fresh, to grow, and to figure out how to um, kind of accommodate the demand for this. I think as Epic grows and more people want to work with them, we have to figure out how to scale it and make it continue to stay relevant. So one of the things that the working group that I'm in is focused on is, you know, how do we help move Epic into the North American market in the best way possible? One of the ways, obviously, was doing that through Chicago Fire. They're now working with MLS in in total and with the Players Association. So just trying to figure out, you know, there's a, there's a different working group working on um, the kind of the research piece of it, making sure that that stays up to date. And I think it's really important to have different viewpoints and perspectives um, lending their voice to an organization like Epic. And I love that they have an advisory board in the first place, right? They're open to listening to feedback and viewpoints that are going to help them stay in the best lane possible as they grow and expand. And I think that says a lot about the organization as a whole, right? Not to just be barreling down this pathway with blinders on but and say, okay, we've got this. We have a good method. We're just going to copy paste, copy paste. They're continually refining it, which I think is a mark of a healthy organization. 
and just trying to help my understanding of how the program is implemented as well. If an individual, Rachel, approaches you for help and you're able to point them in the right direction, at that point, and maybe it differs from individual to individual, do they take it themselves and run with that? Is it something they engage with in their home environments versus the practice facility? How does that tend to play out in your experience thus far? Like you said, it's going to depend on the individual and, and what that individual prefers to do. And it also depends on kind of the situation that they're dealing with. I think there's a few different ways. You know, if someone wants to speak with me directly, obviously I'm here and available to have those conversations. But, and and I do this across any topic. As soon as someone wants to work outside of me, I I make referrals a lot. I can't have a depth of conversation with every single athlete. There's just not enough time. I work with probably 180 athletes all the way from our academy through to the first team. And so I have to be able to refer out pretty often. And I kind of leave it up to the the athlete, what they feel the most comfortable with, because the last thing you want to do is to say, hey, here's the way that we do this here. And this is your only option and have them disengage and say, okay, never mind, right? I don't want any help. So I think having Epic available as a referral, right, to say, here's the lived experience people, right? They, you know, you saw them earlier this year, you connected with Mark, you heard his story, you know, here's this this whole organization formed around this model, and they're available to help or point you in the right direction. There's also the substance abuse and behavioral health initiative through the league, right, where I can call them or have the player call them and say, hey, can you connect this athlete with resources, whether that's a peer counselor or a professional therapist or this sort of thing. So there's a few different avenues, but I I think, again, if you can have someone come to you looking for help, which is a brave thing to do in the first place because you're so vulnerable in that moment, and to be able to say, hey, there's this person, you've seen his face, you know, you know the organization that he represents, even if that's just a connection point, and then they move on to some type of, you know, professional help after that, it's a lot more approachable, right? It's it's a lot easier to go to a person rather than to go to some digital space maybe to get the help. And I, I think you have to be so delicate in those moments, right? When a player has reached out and said, I'm having a hard time and I need some help. So slowing things down and going at their pace and really trying to be able to explain to them, here's how this option works. Here's how that option works. Here's what you can expect from these different things is important because um, you want them to be able to make an informed decision about how they're moving down this pathway and to have confidence as soon as they make their next step that that they're going to be safe and, and things will be handled with discretion and in a way that's focused on them getting help, not them piling on more guilt or uh, having a punitive approach, right? We're trying to restore people in these moments. And so being able to have them make the decision about how they want to do that is really crucial. And Mark, what about from your perspective? When you're engaging with an athlete who has come to you with an issue, how do you choose to address them? Do you ask certain questions or do you refrain from asking certain questions? Do you have to choose your words carefully or is it about staying quiet? How does that look? Yeah, I mean, it's really important. And, and first of all, every recovery is different. You know, working with a lot who, who are lived experience as well, we've all got a different story in recovery and, and what worked for me doesn't necessarily, it would work for the athlete that got in touch. So 
Uh, for me, it would be initially, you know, listening to the story, how they're feeling. I think there's no better place, and certainly when I do look back, that offload in my feelings, how I felt, what what I had done, and it was almost like I was passing the weight over, um, and and someone else was helping me. So I think listening's really key when someone does does approach, uh, and just letting them, you know, tell their story, letting them, you know, find out the reasons why. You know they are doing the things they're doing, and and from that point, it'll always. I always just be an ear and, and almost just a a person that's there, knowing that they have got someone, uh, and and that that day to day conversation. It might just be well done, keep it going. Uh, you know we've got this, we've got this in place, and I'll always direct them what what helped me and what does help people in recovery. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't tell them this is the way. Uh, you know, like I said, recovery is different and everyone will find their way. The fact they've got in touch is the huge starting point because that's the hardest part. The hardest part is reaching out and saying, listen, I've got a problem. I've been doing X, Y and Z. So the fact they've had that conversation, you know, at that point that that athlete or, or that person is ready for that help. I'm sure there's varied responses to my next question, but when someone has reached out and said i have a problem they've admitted it to themselves and they've they've come and reached out to you is it because they've had conversations with people in their network whether that be family or friends or is it a decision they've arrived at on their own how does that tend to look changes sometimes i think when i look back you know certainly through my gambling time there was many times where i knew i needed help you know i look back at the age of 23 and and now the moments i think wow if i got help then i might have got my career back on track obviously that embarrassment, that stigma around gambling addiction and the competitive nature that I've got, I thought I'm going to have to beat this, I'm going to have to do it myself and I kind of grew up in that world where if you were injured, if you were dropped, if you were loaned out, you just got on with it, that's what it was like and I, and I guess being in that culture then when I was struggling I thought well, I've got to get on with this because you know no one spoke, no one talked about mental health or or personal emotion or anything like that so you know, at that time, it's just so important that, yeah, they, they, they do reach out and it, and it can be, it can be them lonely nights where three, four in the morning and you've got nowhere to turn and, and it could be that one session, that looking up and then relating with that, you know, certainly me in the room or any other of our facilitators and thinking, he understands me, he's done all them things I'm doing. And that's normally the first part of the conversation, whether it's a, I can see myself in your story at that point or... I've got a friend or things like that so because it's so relatable and if, if they can see themselves it's almost like from that point they think wow I don't want it to go any further. Does it tend to be issues in a player's personal life that causes them to realise that they need help or is it more performance related or again is it a mixture of both? It's a mixture I think when you're in the addiction you you genuinely don't see either your emotional your emotional like factors you're just not in tune with anyone you know and, and it sounds really really bad but addiction takes you away from your loved ones your family your friends you know I, I I always allude to Emily in my story but you know she was 18 months old and I just wasn't there as a dad I just didn't see what I see today I didn't see you know how beautiful she was I just wasn't there but that's because all I thought about was the next bet the next bit of money what I'm going to do next how I'm going to get out of this hole and same when it when on the football field uh, you know, I was gambling in the dressing room and I was out on the pitch and again, although you know, got six thousand fans chanting your name, my, my parents, my family are watching and I'm not present in that moment on the pitch. Um so when you're in the addiction, you just yeah, there's no emotion attached to it. 
Firstly, Mark, thank you so much for, for sharing that insight there with us as well. And as we begin to wrap things up in this conversation, I wanted to ask you both about lessons you've learned along the way. Rachel, perhaps I can go to you next and ask you, in your relationship so far with Epic, what has been your biggest lesson so far? And has anything surprised you about that relationship? I think, you know, the thing that comes to mind first when you ask that question is we try to partner with a lot of different groups or outside organizations to bring content to our players, whether it's education or mental health resources or, or what have you. And so as you're doing that, you're always looking for, you know, who's doing that the best, you know, who can we count on to come in and actually get the content across and not just have people tune out or who can do this in an engaging way. And so finding the right group to bring in to do that is always, you know, when you try somebody out, you're like, I don't know, this could totally fall flat, right? And maybe this is a one-time thing or on the bright side, you know, maybe this is our next partner, right? And (laughs) Epic was the first organization that I've worked with in my time here where they came in and right off the bat, I was like, this is the group. It was such a clear cut difference, especially because they started with the academy, right? To get a room full of 30 teenage boys to engage for 45 minutes is a huge task, right? So the fact that they could do that and they did that remotely through a Zoom session at that point, that is what sold me. And and so I think, and it's just continued on from there, right? If you can find a partner who can deliver content to all of the athletes from, you know, your youngest to your oldest at different points in their development journey or their pro career. I think that says a lot. And yeah, it's, it's Epic is the first group that I've ever said, you know, you know, right off the bat, okay, this is, this is the win. We don't need to look any further. And Mark, you don't stop learning yourself, do you? No, always learning. And, and that's what's great, I think, about, about the job. And I, I always say, you know, certainly grateful for, for the opportunity opportunity I have at Epic but it's a case of that education passing passing on the knowledge Um, and you you learn you 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 always come out of every session with with something someone said even last week I got we're really lucky uh, you come into to our our football club and and that makes me realize how important it is you know young academy lads saying that and then it'll be he said afterwards I'm guessing you didn't get this And, and the truth is we didn't you know, it was so different 15 years ago and it, it's just great. We're moving with the times. I think the fact, you know, the, the work Rachel does is player care. Each club has that now. Uh, it wasn't there. You know, it didn't exist. It was a case of deal with all your problems yourself. So it's brilliant that we're moving forward, that this help out there for all these athletes now. Uh, but the next bit is to knock that barrier down to make sure that athletes know they can come forward, they can reach out, they can speak to people. And yeah, it's not going to affect you know their football career or whichever sport it may be that they, they, they've got to realize they can talk without it like i say it's not going to impact what happens at the club it, it needs to be safe uh, and we we offer that and and it's one of my big things yes i love delivering my lived experience i love passing on my knowledge but at the end of the day i want them to realize it's a safe environment to come forward if they need that help because i know what it feels like when you genuinely feel like you can't my final question to you rachel how do you see your relationship with Epic developing over the next 12 months? 
Well, I think, you know, assuming we can get the scheduling done here on our end, um, I I think next season we'd love to have another live in-person lived experience session and just keep finding ways to highlight the athlete's voice in this topic and use that as a method to keep educating athletes. And, you know, I'm also really keen on the idea of kind of educating my peers and coworkers more broadly in the organization, right? I think, again, this is a topic that at least here in the U.S. is still very new. So I think if you ask most of the people here in our club, even though we've engaged with Epic already for the, the athlete session, I think most people, you know, here on the sporting side wouldn't, wouldn't know much to identify or highlight or recognize gambling harm or what to do with it if it came, you know, up, up in their day-to-day working with people. And so I think that's the next step that I'm interested in looking at is how do we broaden the education beyond the athlete to all of the help and support systems in a club environment so that we can all be equipped with the information and ready and prepared to help people if and when they need it. Brilliant. Mark? Yeah, it'd be a case of, of obviously, for me, it's educating as many as many people. And, and Rachel just said it then about it's not, you know, yes, we do so much with athletes, but there is the bigger picture as well, which you've got the club, you know, you've got employees, you've got people that work there from, you know, the stakeholders all the way down. And because of the nature of the sector they're in, that exposure being around it, you know, they're actually more likely to have a problem as well because they're constantly around that sport and environment. So for me, moving forward, it's, it's yeah, it's uh, getting, getting a travel cushion, a suitcase, my passport renewed, lots of, you know, traveling over to the US. But again, it's, it, it, to me, it's not work. It really isn't. It's, it's trying to have an impact and make a difference of something that, that consumed my life for so long in such a negative way it's now trying to turn something that was so negative into a positive and 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 from that it gives me like i said at the start it's my word i, f- I feel hope but it gives me hope that i am giving something back and not only to to the next generation of footballers the current generation of footballers or sports athletes men women uh, and that's the work that we do at epic it's it's giving back you know to my family my friends my loved ones who who have helped me to this place i think know five years of you know so many people stuck by me helped me um and i'm and i'm you know internally grateful for that and and now i just want to make them proud and having something that i've got at epic and being able to do that saying i know um they are proud and and it makes me feel like yeah i'm I'm doing something right i'm helping people um and certainly i can't change what what happened in the past or or how i behaved Uh, so it's nice that slowly but surely i can I can, be, you know, I've become a better person, uh, and I'm and I'm able to help people. What a positive place to wrap things up, Mark. Thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. Thank you, thank you too. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here.